The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be talking with you, and I'm equally excited to be talking to an old friend. Not old like that. Old like I've known her a really long time. Her name is Deborah Schaus, and she is an expert on caregiving. She has written the book Love Can... um, Love in the Time of Dementia, I believe if that's a wrong title, she can correct me. And her new one is Connecting in the Land of Dementia, Creative Activities to Explore Together. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Deborah before I give you her official introduction. Deborah Schaus invented a holiday. She invented a holiday that we've just had, and that holiday is March 4th, when we are supposed to march forth into the rest of the year and the rest of our lives. Now, I learned this from Deborah probably 20 years ago, and I celebrate March 4th every year. So you've got to love a woman who gives you an extra holiday. Deborah also has a tremendous gift for entertaining And I remember years and years ago, back in the Kansas City area where I used to live and where Deborah still lives, she would have potlucks that had to be vegetarian. And this was back when vegetarian was weirder than vegan is now. But people wanted to come so much that they all did it anyway. And I remember once going to one of Deborah's parties shortly after the death of my beloved cat, Albert. And what Deborah had planned for the evening was that everybody would bring something from their home that had served its usefulness and somebody else would take that and then everyone would go home with something new. Well, someone had brought a little statue that looked exactly like Albert and to this day I have a memory of Albert who's in the great beyond, and Deborah, who is vitally in the here and now, to look at every day. So that gives you just a little background on this amazing woman. She is a writer's writer. She's an editor, a speaker, and a dementia advocate. As I said, her newest book is Connecting in the Land of Dementia, and it features dozens of experts in the field of creativity and dementia. These innovators share ideas that engage the creative spirit so care partners and people living with dementia can continue to experience meaningful moments of connecting. Welcome, Deborah Schaus. Thank you so much, Victoria. What a lovely and personal introduction. (laughs) Well, I, I just am happy to 
think that we're talking today and, and so happy that you're in the world. Now, first on your first book, did I butcher that title? Love in the Land of Dementia, Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey. Beautiful. And, and you've had you that for, experience. I had that experience, and that that book started out as just a way for me to make sense of what was going on with my mom and to come to the point where I knew I wanted to stay connected with her throughout the journey, and I wanted to find the gifts and blessings in what we are going through. And so as a writer, I just started scribbling things that I later turned into essays that organically um, came together for that book. Mm. And it was such a meaningful process for me to go through. And what about the second one? What inspired this new one? The second book was also inspired by this idea of how do you stay connected throughout the dementia journey. So many people who are living with dementia lose their friends. They lose touch with different family members. And part of it is that people feel awkward or uncomfortable going to visit as perhaps the dementia advances. They don't know how to connect. And I've certainly experienced those feelings myself. So I wanted to explore ways that we can all stay connected with the people we care about, no matter what they're going through, just like we would with any other um, condition or disease. We want to keep that connection going. And writing this book and meeting all these different experts, some in person, some via Skype, some on the phone, was so inspiring and really upped my um, hope level for the whole dementia journey. Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful book, and I think that reading both your books, for me, Deborah, has just made it less uncomfortable. I know that um, my father had a kind of dementia, and I didn't know what to do with that, uh, other than just be very quiet and not very helpful, because it is like meeting someone that you used to know, but who has become someone different. I think, I think you've brought up such an important challenge that most of us, when we're caregivers to someone we know really well who's held a certain spot in our lives face, and that is that, and this happened to me with my mom, when I finally learned to let go of trying to bring back the woman I had known and just accept my mom for where she was and who she was, then our relationship flourished. And as I have been reflecting upon that, it's really what we all want. We all want to be accepted where we are at the moment. And it's an art form to do that sometimes, you know, when somebody is going through a lot. And for me, that was such a spiritual experience coming to that point and, and then understanding that, my mom couldn't come back to me, and so I needed to journey to her and use my creativity and imagination to find ways that we could still communicate and connect with each other. Tell me some of those ways, Deborah. Well, some of the things I did with my mom were musical, and now um, we're learning so much more about the power of music. So we sang together, and just recently there was a study from Finland that showed how incorporating singing into everyday life can boost the immune system and lift both parties' spirits. And the great news is you don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to know all the words. Just having a little tune going on between the two of you, even as a professional care partner, when you're getting dressed or when you're cooking or when you're driving, really helps build a connection. And so another part of the music is listening to favorite songs. There's an organization called Music and Memory actually started in Brooklyn, New York by Dan Cohen, which has swept the country because it is so helpful. And you find out a person's favorite songs, the kind of songs that bring with them a memory, a good memory, or make you want to get up and dance, and you put those on an iPod-type shuffle device, and if they're in a noisy place, you use earphones, 
and you let them listen to that music. And that music can just bring people who may be slumped over, they may be bored, they may be disengaged, back to life. And so it's a wonderful thing to share with family members, um, intergenerationally, a way to let the music bring you all back together again. Art, looking at art is another lovely way to connect. And people living with dementia are often more creative because some of their filters are eased away. And so to look at a beautiful piece of art together and ask open-ended questions like, what does that make you think of or what do you think is happening there can be really interesting and a great way uh, to start a conversation together. So, Deborah, how does someone get over their fear? I think our culture is so youth-oriented that we're even afraid of people who are simply chronologically old, even if their faculties are working well. And then when you you bring dementia into it, I, I think people are terrified. So what do we do with ourselves? How do we fix that? Well, um, I think it's an ongoing process, Victoria. And if you're talking about being terrified of um, com- living with dementia, uh, that is something that I think it's really, I don't know if we can completely come to terms with that unless it has happened to us. If you're talking about being scared of being around people who are living with dementia. Yeah, that was that more is, what I meant, yeah. Sure. And that is something that, first of all, the first thing is just give ourselves permission to try and make mistakes. There's nothing that can go wrong. So I like to, when I'm visiting friends who are living with dementia, have some activities in mind, and that's where I think the book comes in so handy. I might bring some music. If it's somebody who likes to do art or paint, I might bring some markers, and we do a picture together. Uh, I might bring something from nature. So I might just bring some things. So I have some things to try. And then what I learned with my mom is, you know, silence is good too. And looking at another person and breathing together, just being together is wonderful. So you don't have to be trained or have the magical answers. You just have to be willing to explore a little bit and let it be okay if what you have carefully planned out doesn't work, then you just try something else. Mm. You can see or you can hear by this woman's beautiful voice and, and the great love that she brings with her to really everything she does, that connecting in the land of dementia, creative activities to explore together is a wonderful, wonderful book if you are a caretaker, if you know a caretaker. So, Deborah, will so- how will someone who is helping um someone with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia benefit from this book? Well, the thing, and again, I'm using it myself even though, you know, I've, um, I know so much of the stuff, but it's a good reminder. It, it gives you ideas. It stretches your thinking. But more than that, these activities are good for all of us. Increasingly, there have been studies that show that doing art, looking at art, doing crafts, movement, listening to music, all these are things that can um, slow down cognitive impairment and help us all keep healthy. So while you are doing these activities with someone, you are helping yourself at the same time. And then, of course, there is the sheer joy of keeping connected with that person, whether it's somebody you know as a personal level or you're a professional caretaker who wants to keep a connection. So what did you learn, Deborah? I know you already knew a lot from working with your mother, but in writing this book, there were more lessons. Yes, I learned that there are so many people out there thinking creatively, knowing that a person who's living with dementia is just like any of us. They want to be seen for who they are. They want their life to have meaning. They want friends. They want new experiences. They want to learn. 
I, I knew that, Victoria, but I got it on a much deeper level as I learned from all these different people that I was lucky enough to interview. And I also learned that most of the people I talked to had the same experience that I had, is that they really felt people living with, their, with dementia were their teachers in so many ways, guiding them to some of the spiritual goals that many of us have, to live in the present, to be patient, to accept um, people as they are and live with loving kindness. Um, I was helped so much by my mom to get further with those goals, and many of the people I talked to felt the very same way. So who is supposed to read your book? Are we talking about current caretakers or uh, give, give us an outline of, of the ideal reader? Well, anybody who wants to connect with someone who's living with dementia, and that could be a family caretaker, a professional caretaker, a social worker, a spiritual leaders, more and more um, people in religious organizations are wanting to make their uh, churches, synagogues, mosques dementia-friendly. So this book helps, gives them ideas. People who, friends, who just want to keep their connection, anybody who has those same feelings of wanting to be connected can benefit from the book. And I've had several people say that it's just a good book to get ideas for doing something uh, intergenerationally or as a family because you don't need any special abilities or skills to do these activities. You just need to be willing to explore a little bit and expand your own creative thinking. Mm. And one of the things that I noticed reading the book, children would enjoy most of these activities as well. And so this is a way that grandchildren, great-grandchildren could be involved with someone that they might not be able to connect with in, in some other ways. Yes, absolutely. It's a lovely intergenerational tool. There's even a technology section in here, and that's another place that the grandchildren and children can really shine in helping get their um, loved ones used to using technology um, and staying connected if they're not in the same city with Skype or Zoom or other means of connection. So it really is about connection, isn't it, Deborah? Whether we're talking about people with dementia or people who have a different language or a different culture, if we can find a way to connect, magic happens. I'm, I missed just Yes, it is about connection. And um, I think for me that's one of the most important things in life. And then also keeping people engaged because sometimes people that lose their motivation when they're living with dementia, they might not think to do an activity. And so to reach out to them, to draw them out and invite them to do something with you can be very meaningful. Mm. Well, it's a beautiful book, Connecting in the Land of Dementia, Deborah Schaus, and I will put Deborah's info on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net so you can go there and just click away and find her on Facebook and Twitter and hither, thither, and yon. Deborah, bless your heart and bless your life, and I'm so happy that we had this little bit of time together. Thank you so much, Victoria. It was really wonderful getting to share with you. Oh, and, and it's wonderful to know that you're in the world. Now, everybody else, stay with us. We're going to be talking with Marilee Jacobs and Paul Kennehauer. Um, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You know, I was so wanting to say it correctly that I wrote it out phonetically, and I put in too many H's. Let me try it again. Paul Kenimer. There, I got it. And they are the filmmakers for a fabulous documentary. Maybe you've seen it. I hope you have. Eating You Alive, right after the break.
to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio, the teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, and I just want to jump right in with our next wonderful guests, who are the filmmakers of Eating You Alive. They are Marilee Jacobs and Paul Kenimer, and the film is a documentary that examines the state of our global health crisis and presents science and personal stories, the one approach that can treat, prevent, and even reverse our top chronic disease killers. Welcome, Marilee and Paul. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Such Good a pleasure. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. So I, I've actually watched the film twice because it's one of those that it's a very entertaining film. But even more than that, to me, was this is almost like a course. This is like plant-based nutrition 101, 102, and 103. <laughs> and if I watch it a second time... I'm going to learn some stuff that I don't know. And I've been around this for literally decades. So tell me what inspired you to make Eating You Alive? Well, I, we actually were approached by a physician in our area in Chattanooga uh, with a whole food plant-based way of living. And he was actually, we're, we were, production, were a production company. And so he was coming to us wanting us to, you know, make some assets for him to market his seminars, his monthly seminars with. And so we started looking into it, you know, and kind of doing our homework. And in doing that, we realized, wow, this is uh, this is pretty amazing. I mean, I'm from Alabama and knew nothing about good health, I ate horribly, and uh, and so I thought, you know, this is this is what I was trying because literally, my dad had 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 a heart attack, a stroke, and and triple bypass, and so I sort of I assumed I was kind of destined for that same kind of thing. And I thought, 
maybe I need to give this a shot. So that's really what sent us down the path. And how long ago was that? Uh, a little over three years ago. No, three uh, we, years, February. Yeah, we started, and uh, and and honestly, I I, I talked to Marilee because I I can't cook, and I said I need help with this, and she said, uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do it. And so we have another lady that works with us, and and she said yes, she would cook as well. And so then we, as a whole production team, kind of uh, took the challenge to try this. And so over a very short period of time, six weeks for me. I dropped 45 pounds, returned to my high school weight. In three weeks, I had I had all my health issues that that just kind of went away, uh, and it was just it was it was crazy. It was amazing, and we all kind of as a team experienced these same kind of amazing results. So mm. it was we were so we were so pleased with that that we we said we've got to we've got to make the film. And I love the energy that comes from doing this, and people just start. I mean, how many things do people do for three years and end up making a film about it? But with this, people just get involved, and the next thing you know, they they have a book or a business or who knows what, because I think it really does energize us at at, at a very deep level. Now, in your case, your whole production team took on this lifestyle during the production process. So how was that? Did you get pushback? Well, actually, we actually the whole team took it on as a challenge, and the impetus for or the thought behind making a film didn't come until we all we had all started experiencing these dramatic changes. So first, we made the change, and then that inspired us all to say, "How do we, man? How do we tell people about this? How do we get this message out there?" And since we are production, then that was just the most likely way that we could take our skills and talents and expertise and turn it towards sharing this message with as many as we could. Oh, I love it. I have heard from production people that they're trying to get certainly more closer to vegan kinds of foods on set. And sometimes the companies that do that are not interested (laughs) in doing something different. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the biggest challenge for you in the overall production process? Uh, well, I tell you, as far as the actual production, I think more of the difficult thing was in the post-production process and editing this because we, we had so much content. Uh, we interviewed about 60-something physicians, practicing physicians, as well as the rock star doctors that we kind of all know once we get into the, into this movement a bit. And so, uh, trying to, to pare all this down, uh, and kind of decide what we were going to leave in and what we were going to leave out because we wanted to be very comprehensive for someone like ourselves that kind of we stepped into this lifestyle and knew nothing about it. And we needed to know. I, I personally am, am, was a skeptic of it when I began to, to try this. So I tried to approach it from that standpoint. And for me to really believe it, I needed to hear this from doctors across the country. So I didn't think it was just some kind of a fad or a California thing or something. And and so literally when we interviewed all these doctors and these physicians, we, we literally, there was so much content. Just bringing it and focusing it in was probably the most difficult part of the process. I've always heard that about documentary. And actually, I'm working now as a producer with Thomas Jackson on his documentary, The Compassion Project, which is to introduce the vegan lifestyle to people of faith. And what started out as a smaller project <laughs> became bigger as he had opportunities to go to the climate conference in Marrakech, Morocco, and then to go to India. And I I can just imagine what that um, editing process is going to be. So with Eating You Alive, do you have extra footage? Is that something? Are we going to have director's cuts and stuff in the future? Do you have a shovel? (laughs) Yes. In fact, we had a blizzard here yesterday, so I do. Yeah, just just as a reference point, we have... About forty terabytes of raw footage, so that is a that's a lot. So yeah, we used, I guess we used maybe maybe five to ten percent of what we actually have. So yeah, we have a lot because honestly, we went into this totally unscripted and allowing the doctors to kind of take us down the path that they that they felt comfortable going down, and that just sort of sort of led led us through these multiple storylines. 
Mm. So let me ask you this. It seems like sometimes, because this is basically pretty simple, and so you talk to the doctors, did you find that they told you mostly the same thing over and over again, or did you get ahas and great differences among them? No, actually, I wouldn't say we got great differences. You know, it, each of the physicians may have a minor tweak, um, but the basic message, and I think this is what came through loud and clear and hopefully what we were trying to communicate in the film and were successful in doing, is that the viewer walks away with this sense that the, the basic message is consistent across all specialties, uh, across all physicians, um, in in this lifestyle, you know, and, and across all disease processes, actually. Um, and that is whole plant foods, um, avoiding and eliminating processed, highly processed foods, uh, refined flours and sugars, and added oil is the approach that has and yields the optimal results that we're all looking for, which is the not only the treatment and prevention, but the actual reversal of chronic disease. That's very exciting, especially this week as we're hearing all the debate about health care. And I yeah. just want to say to the TV, you're not debating about health care. You are debating about who will pay for sickness. That's right. That's exactly, <laughs> That's exactly right. That's we agree. Exactly right. So we how love- go ahead. I'm sorry. I say we would just love to get the message into the hands of the powers that be there that are waging war because we we believe that we could help our country out in a in a serious way if people would just adopt this lifestyle, um, both economically and with regards to our health care and, and the, the expense of it and the environment and everything else. So, uh, well, you think that I think that, and about three percent of the people think that, <laughs> and we are a vocal three percent. So, it, yeah. tell me, guys, how did you go about choosing your experts? Uh, I'm sorry. Honestly, uh, Marilee, you were. I mean, we knew we knew the certain we knew certain physicians that we definitely wanted to interview, and we had a few testimonials that we knew that we wanted to include. But Marilee, really, you lined those things up, and you. Yeah, you know, obviously, the physicians who have been in, in lifestyle medicine and who have kind of pioneered the way uh, through lifestyle medicine were really important because they built the foundation. That they're the ones whose research and whose expertise has, has really allowed the rest of us to learn. Um, you know, the the and we call them the forefathers of lifestyle. Uh. <laughs> Colin Campbell and your Ezelston and Barnard, you know, McDougal and Ornish. Uh, these guys have been Furman too, Joel Furman. These guys have been preaching this for a really, really, really long time, and cannot cannot imagine how frustrating it must be for them. Uh, to have had this information out there for so long, and but excited, I know they're excited now to see that it's finally catching. But more than them, you know, there's a whole other generation of physicians coming up and graduating medical school uh, whose intent when they go in is still to cure people, to help people. And speaking to the broad range of specialties is really what we were wanting to do. And so uh, the goal was, not that we achieved it, but we sure tried awful hard. The goal was to uh, find a physician uh, in every single state in the United States uh, that represented whole food plant-based uh, medicine. And um, that would have probably taken us at least another year maybe <laughs> To acquire all of that at some point, you have to just cut production. But I think, you know, we're really pleased with what who we were able to find from from across the country and the specialties as well. Uh And so, you know, that's as far as finding them. uh, The Internet is a wonderful thing nowadays. And uh, you go Googling whole food plant based physician or whole food plant based expert near you. And chances are you're going to find someone that can help, whether it's a physician or a health coach or uh, a nurse, you know, who's gotten into nutrition counseling. Um, it's a growing, growing community, and we're really excited to see that happen. Yeah. And what's yeah. honestly what was to, to find all the different specialties, because obviously we as I, mean, I know myself and I think as most individuals in this country, we still we loft doctors up as the experts in how to help us with our health. And how to obtain, uh, you know, optimal health. 
And so for, for me also to hear all these different specialties speaking to our diseases and to their areas of, of, you know, of specialty, all basically dealing with it with the exact same message. And that is oh. eat plants, eat more plants, whole foods, plant-based. That's the way to find optimal health regardless you know, of the specialty of the particular doctor. They all went back to the same message. Well, that's really good to know because sometimes I think they're all cardiologists, <laughs> but it's not true. We really do have, have doctors from, from every discipline, and I always like to send people to the Plantrician Project and also yeah. to VegDocs.com uh, to, to find a physician in their area. Or sometimes you just find one who's sympathetic. I mean, I, I had a doctor say to me once, I put people on medication to get numbers like yours. I wish my other patients would do it. And then she stopped for a minute and she said, I wish I would do it. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of them know, but the the status quo is just so strong for for physicians like like the rest of us. Well, and so, I think it's probably good for us to keep in mind that physicians are people just like us with mm-hmm. addictions and you know cultural traditions, just like the rest of us. They're no different from that perspective, and so for them. Breaking habits habits is just as difficult as anybody else. And it's difficult. I mean, it's easy to talk the talk. It's much more challenging to walk the walk. But we do believe that we would see, you know, miraculous changes in patients if their physicians would do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, like like Dr. Stoll with the Plantrition Project, like he he lives it, you know, and then he, he tells his patients about it, but he lives it. So that sets the example, and uh, it, it's just so helpful to the country. It is indeed. Well, you are helpful to the country, Marilee Jacobs and Paul Kenner. I, what? I have trouble with your name. Kenner, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, director and uh, producers of Eating You Alive. So did you learn anything from your experts that surprised you? Was there something you'd been doing and then you learned, oh, my gosh, maybe I should add this in? I learned a lot of things, actually. I'm sure Marilee did, too. But I'll tell you, this is kind of a – I learned that spinach has 4% fat. I didn't know that. Uh, I thought that was interesting, <laughs> just as a random thought. Well, and I – you know, just actually yeah, yesterday I was on the phone with um, a, a person who had come to a screening out in, when we were in L.A. and uh, saw the film and determined that they were going to make the change. And they've been keeping us posted of their progress and sending us their lab reports as they get them and so excited about the experience um, that they're having in their journey and their return, they're regaining health. And uh, and that's a wonderful thing. But uh, he was even having a conversation with me, and he says, I said, well, what do you eat on a daily basis? And so he says, well, you know, one thing I have is, you know, I have a protein shake um, in the morning, and so he says, and then he was asking me about using bananas, you know, is half a banana, is that too much? And I said, well, actually, why, why do you feel like you need a protein shake? You know, why are you drinking a protein shake? And he was talking about needing protein. I said, well, you know, actually, if you go and look, you will find that your banana, I think I, I looked it up for him while we were talking on the phone. I said, I think your banana has like a, a half a gram of protein in it. Or, you know, some dried apricots have like 1.4 grams of protein. And, you know, I said the, the way food is packaged, the way it's found in nature, it's amazing to me that all the foods are perfectly balanced with the fat, the carbohydrates, the protein, you know, all, the, all the building, big building blocks that we talk about, which actually aren't near as important as the phytonutrients and the micronutrients and the fiber. Um, but everything has a bit of all of that in it. And so if you just eat a variety, you don't have to worry about getting any protein. You know, and that's usually the first question people ask. But finding out that fruit has protein in it, I think, was an eye-opener for him, you know. Right. And I think just um, what Paul was saying, that spinach has fat in it, the fact yeah. that dark leafy greens also, per calorie, have more protein than beef. That yes. was one of those aha facts the first time I heard it. So, so the gentleman you were talking with could put a handful of greens in his smoothie and, and get some really good protein without having to, to get 
an isolated protein. But this brings me to a really interesting question because there are some fabulous people that I know in the plant-based world, athletes, physicians, others, who do have product lines that have things like protein powders and other sorts of convenience foods. And certainly today is a huge day in, in the world of of taking the planet more vegan word. Um, yeah. Memphis Meats is, is launching the first lab-grown chicken. I mean, that's not for vegans, but it's yeah. for all those other people. So yeah. what, what do we do with the fact that we want to eat whole foods and yet so much of the momentum in this movement that could, if we're lucky, save this planet is coming from processed foods. I, I, honestly, this sounds so so like a meaningless answer, but I frankly think people don't know this information. While, you know, I think, you know, you're beginning to see some saturation of this information. But overall, I think that still most people have no idea that what they're, what they're doing to themselves with what they put in their mouth every day. I think we are so marketed to by these, you know, companies, pharmaceutical companies, and, and by the, the meat industry and the egg board, that we're so promoted with this information as being a health-promoting, you know, food for us that we, we don't know any better. So we're believing that marketing. And I think if people could actually realize that the key is not – it's not necessarily not necessarily exercising. That's not how we got into this mess. Is because of how much we or how little we exercise. We got into it because of what crosses our lips every every time we eat, and that's what I think people just need to become aware of. And I, I think they don't know that. Well, and 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 to and to I think what you were the question that you were asking too is that you know gluten free you know. Celiac disease and gluten intolerance became this really big deal, and all of a sudden you're seeing gluten-free products everywhere, you know, and, and everybody kind of associated gluten-free with being healthy, which they're, most of the time they're absolutely not uh, any way, shape, or form healthy. Um, and I think the same thing has happened with veganism. Uh, early on, I think you didn't have all of these convenience foods, and since we're people uh, on the go all the time, uh, we haven't learned to slow down, and so we're looking for things to accommodate our crazy lifestyle instead of slowing down and looking to accommodate our lifestyle to the things that are best for us. And so it, when all these vegan products start popping up, um, early on they weren't there. So veganism in and of itself early on I think was more healthy uh, where you were eating more whole plant foods but all as always in in anytime there's a demand for something or you know somebody sees a wave beginning they want to ride that wave and they see that there's products that can be um you know produced and manufactured and a way to to make a living or make money um and that's that's what we're going to do that's the society that we live in and so unfortunately you know, vegan became a big thing. So all of, there's a lot of products and things now being created that are vegan that are still not very healthy, still full of added oils and sugars and that kind of thing. And that's where I think that Paul was speaking to the education is lacking because it's not about being vegan or not vegan as much as it is eating things that are healthy for you and what is healthy and what is not. And sometimes we apply these labels and assume that they mean something that they actually don't. And, um, you know, so when you speak to product lines, th that becomes kind of a, a fine line to walk. Um, but we, we always really like to advocate to people, you know, this lifestyle does not have to be expensive. And when you're looking for vegan packaged products or things that are on the go, a lot of times you'll find a lot of added expense involved in that. But if you go back to eating more of the whole foods, the simple, plain whole foods, you'll find that this lifestyle is actually very economical and so much better for you. And what we would like to advocate is is not something, you know, a product or whatever that we're, that we're making something off of, you know. And, and that's not to say that there aren't, a, there isn't a place for products that are that are packaged that make it easier to live this lifestyle, 
because uh, there certainly is a need for that. And there are some product lines that we've seen that are very helpful uh, for those that are on the go. But all in all, I think you just have to go back to reading the labels of all of them and making sure that those that you purchase are actually good for you and don't have the added sugars and the added oils and, and the things that are unhealthy. Wise words. So you had to travel a lot, I presume, to make this film. So how was that with your own diet? I find that it is easy to have the world's best diet when I'm at home. And I get out on the road, and I just learned, I was reading this book um, by the medical medium, who turns out to be a vegan, and he was talking about all these fruits and vegetables and other plant foods, and and added to the list of travel foods, avocado, which I'd never thought of, because I know you put a banana in your bag and get on a plane, the the banana dies. Yeah, but, you know, their apples travel well, and now I know avocados travel well, but what do you do when you're on the road? Well, for us, in terms of the production of the film, it was, I think we were a little bit different in that we had a bus to travel on, so we, we literally had a kitchen with us all the time, which did me no good, but it was very good to have it there because Mary Lee uh, and some others are great in the kitchen, so they were actually able to prepare meals that didn't change up things for us a whole lot from when we were at our home base. Nice. So from that point, it was good. However, I do know what you're speaking of, and and it is. It, it's difficult. I mean, uh, so, you know, for me, a lot of the times when I'm on the road, I'm, I'm stopping off and picking up, you know, frozen veggies, uh, you know, that not the chef's mix, but the, the, the literally just the frozen mixed veggies and the maybe some brown frozen rice that are all steam, in steamable bags, you know, put some salsa over the top of that, maybe some beans or whatever, heat that up in a microwave at a truck stop, and, and I'm set. The simple life. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It is. And, you know, that's actually most most often hotels now have microwaves. You know, most of them have microwaves available to you. And a lot of them who don't have them in the rooms have them in their breakfast areas. And so, you know, we've carried our oatmeal with Mm. us or whatever and used their hot water and made our own oatmeal or asked if we could use their kitchen to heat something up in their microwave. And uh, it's it really is as simple as that. If you just go to your local grocery yeah. store and grab a, a can of black beans and like some things from the frozen food department, then we have a full meal. Uh, they have these little actually produce section has these little tiny potatoes that are steam in a bag that you can find fresh in the in the produce uh, aisle. And those are grated in the microwave, too, with a little lemon juice squeezed over them, a little fresh ground black pepper. So It's literally, as you know, it's just, it's just literally a, a change in mindset about what, why we eat, honestly. You know, it's a, it's, I still I eat more food, really, than I've ever eaten as far as volume. And honestly, I enjoy my food now more than I ever have. But that's so foreign to people that are like I was, you know, living the standard American diet, uh, I thought health food had to taste healthy. You know, that's what I always believed. But it doesn't have to be that way. No. Well, it it is a mindset. I think that's so important. Today I was in a taxi here in New York City, and I guess because we have to be entertained 24-7, they now have little TVs in the taxis. And there was a little clip from The Chew, and it was a recipe for, I don't know, some kind of muffin or something. And I saw all these ingredients that made me think it was the 1960s and I was a kid cooking with my mother. Things like butter and flour and sugar and eggs. And I thought, people still eat that? And yet the reality is that's very normal to people and that's what they think is food. And so how do we help them bridge that divide and say, okay, almost all of us grew up on that stuff but now we're going to do something very different. Well, that's that's a great question, one that I wish that we had the answer to. But uh, but I mean, I know that for I know that our goal is to obviously to educate, inspire people. I think living the example, living the example, or living what you want the world to be. I think that's where it starts, as each of us individually. But frankly, you know, these, like you mentioned, the Plantrician Project and uh, Dr. Barnard and these different physicians are creating these groups. The College of Lifestyle Medicine. These groups are growing so rapidly right now, and I think as with cigarette smoking, once doctors took that 15 seconds to tell their patients that you do realize that smoking that 
will cause cancer, so you may want to consider that. I know it didn't stop everyone from smoking, but it did make a huge impact on cigarette smoking. And I feel like once we're kind of at that point, I feel like, with food today, that I think we're just about to that point to where doctors are getting this irrefutable evidence-based science that they cannot argue with, that hopefully in just a short period of time we're going to get physicians all across the country sharing this information with their patients. And then we can't really ask for much more than that. The patients have to make their decisions for their own life, but I think for most logical, rational-thinking people, they're going to choose nutrition over splitting their chest wide open or going through cancer you know, and dealing with all these pharmaceutical drugs. Or losing a limb to diabetes. Absolutely losing a limb. So that's, that is a roundabout answer to your question, I, I hope. No, it, it's a terrific answer. It really is. And then people can see your film. Uh, the website is uh, eatingyoualive.com, and I'll put all of their URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Just click on podcast, and you'll get a drop-down that will take you to the show notes, show notes <laughs> for this program and uh, all the preceding ones. And you can find out how to reach Marilee and Paul and see their wonderful film. So for the film buffs, let's just shift a little bit from the topic of the film to uh-huh. film making. What's the process? I'm sure there's somebody out there with a documentary dream. Uh, well, you know, we start obviously for this for this particular project. Obviously, the topic it changed our lives, and so therefore we we had seen. We I, I of course have went on this binge of watching all the docs that I could for healthy eating and lifestyle and all that sort of thing. So I I went through the forks over knives, the fast sick and nearly dead, the food matters, and and all those. Food, food ink and all those and uh, earthlings and everything and you know and so after you do that you know obviously we began a pre-production of kind of laying out how we saw our project hopefully as being as bringing something new to the table no pun intended and uh so and, and that kind of guided us into you know through the pre-production phase into the production phase uh, because obviously we wanted the story told by as many physicians as possible because we felt like, or I felt like, that would make it the most compelling for people that otherwise would, I think, not believe it if they heard it from a filmmaker, you know, because who in the world are we? And I understand that. But if we could get this message th- told through doctors, that was our objective, as well as other people that had obviously gone through this, this change in their lifestyle as well. And have experienced these amazing results, which is, you know, across the board, you know, weight loss is kind of a byproduct of getting healthy, typically. And so we just saw that across the board. So that was our our objective was to try to tell the story that it is very it's 101. It's very, very basic, but hopefully very comprehensive. And uh, and we wanted to make it entertaining. We wanted to make this combination of educational, yet hopefully very inspiring. And uh, and that's what we tried to do. and the production process for us was uh, we tried to set a high production standard, and that, that's part of – that's another thing that, of course, we love to do is this just simply the production process. And so uh, our, our objective was to try to make as high-quality documentaries as we could in terms of uh, uh, technically, but then aesthetically we tried to make it very, you know, very pleasing and then have the information in there that would hopefully appeal to the masses as much as possible. Well, I certainly think you've succeeded. I know I'm not quite the masses since I agree with you, <laughs> but yeah. it was it was a, a wonderful, wonderful film. So tell our listeners how they can see it. Um, you can go to eatingyoualive.com forward slash buy, and there are options there for purchasing DVDs or digital downloads and even an option to rent, um, as well as May, uh, April and May are going to see a theatrical release across the country. So stay tuned and keep your eyes and ears open for more details to come with regards to that, Uh, as well as uh, private screenings are being hosted all over the world, which is really pretty cool. Uh, We're hearing from, you know, New Zealand and Australia and the UK and Germany and and India and Egypt. So it's great that this is not just a U.S. message. This is a global issue, and we're really excited to see things taking hold that way. And so if anyone wants to host a screening, they can go to eatingyoualive.com 
com forward slash screenings. And at the bottom, request to host a screening, and the distributor will work with you to coordinate a screening in your area. Um, I'll also say that for those who can't get to a screening right away, uh, we're actually doing Facebook Live Q&As with physicians, with our physicians, not only from the film, but those um, that are practicing across the country. And tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, join us on Facebook, um, facebook.com forward slash eating you alive film. At 8 p.m., uh, we're doing a Facebook Live Q&A with Dr. Susanna Bazzoni. Wonderful. Ah, so you are out there. <laughs> I, I can't thank you enough for doing this wonderful work. Are you guys going to be at the Nashville Veg Fest in April? I, bet I know you're in Tennessee. It depends. We've got some things. We may have to be in California at the time, but if not, we plan to be there. Okay, well, I will be there and would, would oh. love to meet you. I was talking with the gentleman who's in charge of that, and, and his day job is, is with the, the world of law enforcement, and he told me that he went to Knoxville and took a lot of police officers to the vegan restaurant there, and they liked it so much that they uh, texted him the next day that they had gone back. So... <laughs> you know, I, I think we, we can get, you know, law enforcement, the military, Congress, eating well, yes. thinking well. <laughs> you betcha. Yes. The world will change. Well, and, and thank you guys for being world changers. And thank you for doing such a wonderful and important film. I know I didn't get to meet you when you were in New York, but I do hope that uh, our paths will cross in person one day soon. Thank I you. So well. I do too. Thank you for being on the program. Thanks also to Deborah Schaus and connecting in the land of dementia. Thanks to Unity Online Radio, our engineer, Jeff Comfort, and to all of you who listen. God bless you. Eat your veggies. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. In the midst of a hurricane, there is a center of stillness that remains intact despite the violent winds raging around it. This fact of Mother Nature points to a similar truth in human nature. Even as I encounter the inevitable storms of life, there remains within me a place of peace. Although I can't always control what happens around me, I can choose to stay centered in an awareness of who I am and how I respond. According to Gardner Hunting, Peace is an atmosphere of the heart and has nothing to do with environment or circumstance. So when I'm caught up in a whirlwind of chaos and conflict, I turn within for better weather. Peace is always there. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. 
One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind, Body, Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 